I'll invite you to be turning to 1 Peter chapter 4. We'll take our text from there here in just a little bit. 1 Peter chapter 4. There was once an elderly man who was traveling with a boy and a donkey. And as they walked through a village, the man was leading the donkey and the boy was walking behind. The townspeople said that the old man was a fool for not riding, so to please them, he climbed up on the animal's back. When they came to the next village, the people said the old man was cruel to let the child walk while he enjoyed the ride. So, to please them, he got off and set the boy on the animal's back and continued on his way. In the third village, people accused the child of being lazy for making the old man walk, and the suggestion was made that they both ride. So, the man climbed on, and they set off again. In the fourth village, the townspeople were indignant at the cruelty to the donkey because he was made to carry the old man, and the two people. The frustrated man was last seen carrying the donkey and the boy down the road. <laughs> Peer pressure is a real thing. In our world today, if you don't conform to what everybody else thinks and what everybody else says or does, at the very least you're going to be ridiculed and at the very most you may be physically attacked for disagreeing with what the majority thinks. And for the Christian, the struggle is real. We feel real pressure to conform to the way that the world is living or else. And today's text gives us some help in getting ourselves out of this world. I, I struggled with the title of this message, and I finally came up with the title, Living Above the World so that we can point others to Jesus. Living above the world so that we can point others to Jesus. And let's read our text this morning, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. And uh, if you're able, let's stand in respect to God's word as we read it this morning. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles, when we walked in lewdness, lusts, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abotries. In regard to these, they think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to the God in the Spirit. If you would be seen, that's God's word. 
Verse 1 tells us that we need to arm ourselves with the mind of Christ. And that's the big idea of this text or this paragraph is putting on the mind of Christ. So much of living a victorious Christian life is about getting our mind right. Peter here tells us we need to arm ourselves with the mind of Christ. If someone were to tell you that you need to arm yourself, what would you think? You'd think something's coming, right, that we need to defend ourselves against. Well, Peter here says we need to arm ourselves with the mind of Christ because guess who's coming after us? He's going to tell us a little bit later. In chapter 5, Peter says that Satan is like a roaring lion walking around seeking whom he may devour. We need to learn to arm ourselves, get our mind right, so that we can be victorious in the Christian battle and or in the, the, the spiritual warfare, and so we can live above the world so that we can point others to Jesus. So our text shows us five ways this morning to put on the mind of Christ and take ourselves out of this world and live above the world. First of all, verse 1 tells us that we must die to ourself. We must die to ourself. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Jesus Christ suffered for us in the flesh while he was human. He suffered fleshly uh, persecution, fleshly hard times. Think of the things Jesus went through. He was lied on. He was ridiculed. He was mocked. He was beaten. And finally, he was crucified. He suffered for us. He died in the flesh for us. Uh, he took our sin and paid our debt. Jesus died to himself and suffered for us. Jesus was all about denying himself and living within his Father's will. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane in Matthew chapter 26 when Jesus, right before he was arrested, he said and he prayed, Lord, I pray that this cup would pass from me. If there's any other way, Father, to accomplish your will and what we need to get done, can you please let this cup pass from me? Please don't make me do this. But Jesus was all about dying to himself in order to follow the Father's will. On the cross, Jesus Christ, he took our sin. He took our debt. He lived sinlessly, but he took on our sin and the sins of the world upon himself. He died to himself so that we might live. He suffered our debt. He paid our debt. He died the death we should have died so that we could live. We, in turn, need to learn to die to ourselves as well. Paul stated it well in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, when he said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in us. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave myself for me. If we are going to put on the mind of Christ, we have to learn to die to ourselves. If we're going to put Christ on, that we have to take something else off. Uh, if, we're, if we have a cup of water, 
And I only have one cup. I've only got one meat. And so if my cup is full of water and I want coffee, what do I have to do? I have to pour out the water so that I have room to pour the coffee in, right? We, if we're going to put on the mind of Christ, we have to learn to die to ourselves. And it doesn't just mean, Lord, I'm going to follow you. But it's learning to say no to ourselves, the things that we want to do. Learning to die to self. Secondly, we must make a commitment to seek God's will and to do God's will, not ours. We must make a commitment to seek and do God's will, not ours. Look at verse 2. That he, that's us, no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. Following God and doing God's will and putting the mind of Christ on requires a commitment on our part. In fact, it requires a lifelong commitment. Too many times as pastors, we try to tell folks, you need to make a decision for Christ. You need to trust Christ as your Lord and Savior. And we do. But a lot of times we act like that's the only decision. Y'all, coming to Christ, making Jesus Christ Savior and Lord, is a lifetime commitment. It's a commitment that we're going to live out for the rest of our days. I like that phrase there, the rest of his time. He should spend the rest of his time not in flesh, for lusts of men, but for the will of God. How are you going to spend the rest of your days? Notice the phrase before, rest of his time, and the phrase after, rest of his time. Look, the phrase before says that he should no longer live. The phrase after his time says in the flesh for the lusts of men. What's Peter saying there? He's saying that for the rest of our days, we don't need to live the way we used to live. Once we've been born again, we shouldn't live our lives chasing the same things we used to chase in order to find fulfillment before we were born again. Those things, those lusts, should be part of our past life. Notice that that word lust is plural. We usually think of lust in the context of sexual desires, but lust can have many, many different forms. Uh, we can also lust after houses, land, wealth, stuff, uh, position, power, recognition, pleasure, recreation. There's lots of things that we could lust after. Lust is simply defined as an intense desire. There's lots of things that we can desire, but we've got a choice. Peter talks about two wills in this verse. He talks about the will or the desires of the flesh. And then he talks about the will or the desires of God. We are to live our lives in pursuit and fulfillment of one of these two wills. And we're going to do that. As human beings, we're going to live either following after God's will or following after our will. Doing things God's way or doing things our way. And Peter here says we need to make a commitment to be done with doing things our way. When you trust Jesus as your Savior, when you make Jesus the Lord of your life, 
You're telling Jesus, I'm not going to do it my way. I'm not going to be like Burger King. I'm not going to have it my way, but Lord, I'm going to have it your way. Whatever it is you want us to do, whatever it is you want me to do, whatever your will is for our church, that's what we're going to do. We're going to be committed to doing that. We have to make the commitment to kill the flesh and to follow after the will of God. We are to spend the rest of our lives learning to make God's will our will. Well, how do we do this? How do we kill the flesh and learn to follow God's will? Paul gives us some help. If you would, hold your place here and go to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Peter and Paul both basically say the same thing, but they say it in a different way. Romans 6, beginning at verse 6. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we also shall live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more, death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus the Lord. Therefore, do not let your sin reign in your mortal bodies, that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. There are three words in this paragraph that we need to learn and memorize in order for us to learn to put on the mind of Christ and to kill sin. First is found in verse 6. Knowing this. There's some things that we need to know in our mind. And this idea of knowing is the idea of mental. There's some things before anything else can happen, we have to get it right in our mind. Y'all, before we're going to get our actions right, our mind has to be right, right? So he says, know this. Know that our old man was crucified with him. We need to know that when we were born again, we died to sin. The Holy Spirit has given us a new body, a new will, a new mind to follow the will of God and not the will of man. So first I need to know. And then the second word that we need to know and memorize is in verse 11. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves or consider. We need to reckon or consider. That word reckon is a good old southern term. I like that word. You ask, are you going to go to town? Well, I reckon. Uh, what that word reckon means, it's more than just a country saying. It means I consider myself. Uh, are you going to town? I, well, I believe I will. I reckon I will. We need to reckon ourselves Consider ourselves dead to sin. You know, you get a football player, a world-class professional football player. They watch literally everything they eat. 
I don't know what they eat three meals a day, seven days a week, but one thing I can guarantee you they do not do. They do not go through Wendy's drive-thru three times a day and get a supersized Baconator combo with a large frosting. Because world-class athletes don't eat that way. And I promise you when they football season's over, they may spend a week or so on vacation, but while they're on vacation, they're going to find a gym to work out. They're going to jog. They're going to, they're going to keep doing what they do because that's what world-class athletes do. They consider themselves, they reckon themselves world-class athletes. You and I, once we know that we have died to sin, we get that in our mind, we need to reckon ourselves, consider ourselves Christ followers. And when things come up in our lives, just like that world-class athlete has to say, would a world-class athlete eat this? Would a world-class athlete do this? We need to ask ourselves, would a Christ follower do this? Would a Christ follower say this? We need to learn to reckon ourselves, consider ourselves as dead to sin. That's who we used to be. That's where we used to live. That's where we used to go. So first we need to know. Then we need to reckon or consider. And then verse 13. Do not present your members as instruments of righteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God. First we need to know. Then we need to reckon or consider. And third, we need to present. We need to turn our bodies over to God. Say, God, my body's yours. My hands, they're yours to use however you want them to use. My feet, they're yours to use however you want uh, them to be used. We know in our head we have died to sin. We're living and asking ourselves. We're filtering our mind with the question, would a Christ follower, would a person dead to sin live this way or talk this way? And then finally, once we do that, we present ourselves to God, saying, God, I'm yours. God, use me for your glory. God, use me for what you're doing. Can I suggest to you that if we could get busy presenting ourselves to God and doing the things that God would have us to do, we'd have way less time to do things we want to do. Amen? We'd have way less time to follow our desires because we're busy presenting our bodies to God for doing the things He wants us to do. Know, consider, present. Number three, back to 1 Peter 4. We need to die to ourselves. We need to make a commitment to know and do and to seek God's will. Number three, verse three tells us we need to be fed up with sin. Verse three. For we spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles. When we walked in lewdness, lusts, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. To have the mind of Christ when it comes to sin, we must be ready to say, enough is enough. Our lesson today is divided into two parts, before and after. Our old life 
our new life. Peter paints two pictures, the pictures of who we used to be and the picture of who we are. When it came to sin, Jesus lived a sinless life, but on the cross, he took my sin, he took your sin, he took our wrath, he took our death, he took our anguish, and at the end of his time on the cross, he said a curious phrase. He said, it is finished. And Jesus was saying a lot of things in that phrase. Salvation's plan was done. God's, his, his reason for coming to earth is done. But I think also this sinless man was saying, I'm finished with sin. Sin and I had a date together on this cross. But now, as far as I'm concerned, sin, it is finished. We need to get to that point as well. Jesus said, it is finished. How about you? How about me? Peter tells us, we've had enough of sinning in our old life. In our old life, we followed after fulfilling our desires. And you know what? If we are honest... Did those old desires that we chased fulfillment, were we ever completely fulfilled? Did we get enough pleasure to quit looking for pleasure? Did we get enough stuff that we kept quit buying stuff? America's one of the biggest paradoxes in the whole world. We spend a whole day talking about Thanksgiving and being thankful for what we have. And then the very next day on Black Friday, we go out to buy more stuff. Because the search for fulfillment is never enough. I was killing time the other day. I went to Goodwill. And boy, me and Goodwill sort of like a kid in a candy store. I can find stuff in Goodwill. And I had a buggy and I had three or four shirts. And I had a couple of pants and a sweater. And all of a sudden, it came up to just as much as if Marie had come behind me. Andrew Clayton Plank. And when I hear that, I know I'm in trouble. Ever since I've been a child. But I heard as clear as day, Andrew Clayton Plank, you do not need any of the stuff in this buggy. Put it back. Who am I? I was kind of afraid not to, you know. I'm like, Okay, Lord. I don't know who else is talking to me, but I, so I went back. I felt kind of foolish. I'd gone through now. I, most people are taking stuff off the shelf, putting it in their buggy. I'm taking stuff out of my buggy and putting it back on the rack. And a guy said, didn't you just put that in my buggy? I said, in your buggy? I said, yeah. He said, why are you putting it back? I said, it's a long story. <laughs> but y'all, the pursuit for stuff it never ends. When's enough? When I was making $10,000 a year, I thought $20,000 a year would be enough. When I made $20,000, I thought $30,000 would be enough. When I made thirty, dollars I thought forty. What I've learned is, it's never enough. We learn to spend whatever it is we have. We spend enough of our past life 
trying to fulfill these desires. And Peter gives us a list of these desires here uh, in verse 4. He says, uh, or the end of verse 3 rather, he says, first of all, lewdness or lasciviousness, depending on what version you've got. That word is defined as filthiness, indecency, shamelessness, license without restraint. A chief characteristic of this behavior is open and shameless indecency. If this word doesn't describe our society today, I'm not sure what word does. Adrian Rogers said it this way. Pastor Rogers said what used to be done in the back rooms at midnight is now paraded down Main Street at lunchtime. And there's truth to that. Our country, and not just our country, the Western world. And by Western world, I'm not talking about the old cowboy days. I'm talking about Europe, United States, North America. We have lost our ability to blush. Nothing embarrasses, it, embarrasses us anymore because we are living a lifestyle of lewdness. A lifestyle of lasciviousness. And y'all, it's not just adults, it's kids. I'm, I'm going to climb up on a soapbox. And I, I, I hope I don't sound like an old man yelling at the cloud. But y'all, as parents and as grandparents, you need to watch what your children are consuming on computers. There's a website out there called TikTok. And some of the some of the TikTok videos, there's nothing wrong with them. I've uh, sometimes TikTok will put on my Facebook. It'll have 30 of the most epic fails where people fall down or do whatever, and, and that's okay. But y'all, there's stuff on TikTok that our kids are watching, and our grandkids are watching that no one has any business watching. We need to watch. Because you know what those kids do? Ask the people that are involved in the school systems. They are acting out the very things they are watching these people do on TikTok. We have lost our ability to blush. And as Christians, we sometimes go along with it. I remember one time someone asked me how a certain movie was. I said, oh, it was pretty good. It, just, it does have one nude scene. And that person told me, said, if the movie's pretty good with one nude scene, he said, how many nude scenes would it take to make it something we ought not watch? And I felt about that high. Because he's exactly right. It only has a few cuss words. But it has this cuss word, but at least it doesn't have these cuss words. Y'all, this falls under this idea of lewdness, and it's subtle. If you were to show a lot of the movies that are shown today, back in the 1950s, those movie makers would be arrested for pornography and filth. You know what happened? Gradually, Things started being introduced. A little less clothes. 
a little more vulgar, a little more sex, a little more violence, a little more language, where 70 years later, it's hard to find a movie that's not saturated with sex, violence, and language. And it bothers me when Christian movies are made, and I see people, Christian pastors and leaders, say, well, the theme was good, but it wasn't produced with the same quality that the big movie houses are producing it, and they make fun of the Christian movie that's put out. We have our priorities wrong, folks. We need to be fed up with sin. We need to say enough is enough. That's lewdness. And then we have lusts. Lust is a word that means simply a strong desire, craving, or passion. There are lots of things we can have lusts over. Then we have excess of wine or drunkenness. And that means excess amounts of wine, Drunkenness, wine-bibbing, it would include taking drinks or drugs to affect one's senses. In other words, it's drinking enough or taking enough drugs to mess with your mind. That's what he's talking about. Then he says, revelings, carousing, uncontrolled license, indulgence, pleasure, taking part in wild parties and drinking parties. And then he specifically says drinking parties next or banquetings, depending on the version you've got. And then he says abominable idolatries. He wraps it all up in, in just that phrase, abominable idolatries. He says the worship of idols, uh, that's what abominable idolatries is. Whether mental or made by man's hands, the worship of some idea of what God is like or an image of God within a person's mind the giving of one's primary devotion, time, and energy to something other than God. What is abominable idolatries? It's giving time, energy, and worship to anyone but God. What's worship? Worship something, it, it, it's broken down, it's a compound word. Worth-ship. Something that's worth your worship. Something that you spend time with. That's worship. And I'm not saying it's wrong to go fishing. And I'm not saying it's wrong to go hunting. Y'all, I'm not saying it's wrong to go to a party. But when that's what we live for, when we start worshiping it, then we've made it our God. And Peter here says, we need to say we had enough of that. In our old life, we, we lived that way. We've done that long enough. Just like Jesus, we need to say it is finished. Number four, we need to be ready to be considered strange or indifferent. Look at verses four and five. In regard to these, they think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation. I'll get it out in a minute. Speaking evil of you, they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. The world is not going to understand why we as Christians live differently. 
Too many Christians try to live just like the world. Too many churches try to appeal to the world rather than teaching a gospel and teaching the gospel. Y'all, the world didn't get along with Jesus. Now they got along with him when he fed them. And they got along with him when he healed them. They got along with him when he was giving them moral teachings. But when Jesus said, I am God, when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father but by me, that got him killed. And can I tell you that if the world didn't like Jesus, the world's not going to like us either. We need to be ready to face and accept the fact that the world's going to think we're different. And I'll go as far to say this. I used to wouldn't have said this because I'd be afraid of hurting somebody's feelings, but now I'm getting old. Old people aren't better. They just don't care anymore, you know? If the world doesn't think we're strange, that we're probably living too much like the world. If we're not talking differently than the world, if we're not dressing differently than the world, and I'm not talking, I don't think God has called us to withdraw ourselves like some religious groups say and all wear the same clothes. I don't think that's what God has called us to do. We're, we're called to be in the world, but we need to live above the world. So that we can point the world to Jesus. We need to accept the fact that the world's not going to like a genuine, genuine believer. They're not necessarily not like, but they're not going to understand a Christ follower. They think it's strange, especially if you used to run with them before you were saved. They're going to say something like, well... Bob, old Bob used to be a fun guy. He used to drink with us and party with us and do all these things with us. Now he thinks he's better than we are because he's a Christian. He won't do, they think it's strange. They thought Jesus was strange all the way to the cross. We need to be ready to be considered stranger and different. Finally, we need to follow the example of believers who have gone on before us. The gospel's been around a long time. 2,000 something years. And even you could go back into the Old Testament and look at the lives of Old Testament saints. Those that have lived for God have always been different. But as we wrap this paragraph up, verse 5, they'll give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Those same folks that think you're strange, they're going to give an account to God one of these days. And I've got a feeling the world won't think that we're strange then. The world thought Noah was strange until it started raining, Amen.
Now, a lot of folks get verse 6 confused. There's some false things teaching, false teaching that comes out of this verse. This verse isn't difficult. For this reason, the gospel was preached also to them who were dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. This is not saying that God has a place where people die and go to like purgatory so the gospel can be preached so that you can get a second chance. That's not what this verse says. This verse very simply says, those Christians who died before us, our mothers and fathers and grandparents and great-grandparents, they died in the flesh, but they're alive in the spirit. That's all he's saying there. They were judged in the flesh. It's, it's appointed to man once to die, and after that, the judgment. Judgment's coming for all of us. Now, these folks that think it's strange, they're going to be judged, and they're going to spend eternity in what we call spiritual death in hell. The Christ follower is going to be judged, and he's going to live in eternity with Jesus. I don't know about y'all, but to me, that's a no-brainer, amen? Living above the world so that we can point others to Jesus. We don't live above the world so that we can say we're better than they are. We don't live above the world so that we condemn, can condemn the world. We live above the world so that we can point the world to Jesus. I thought of this next sentence all by myself. It's sort of like a parent who has an only child and they nurture it. It's kind of like having a good idea. I have so few of them. But if I, if I, I maybe I've heard it somewhere, it's in the back of my head. But anyway, as Christ followers, it's our ultimate goal to get out of this world. And we do that by getting this world out of us. It's our job, it, it, what our goal is, is to get out of this world, right? I'm tired of this world. I'm sure you are. My goal is to get out of here. It's to take as many folks with me that want to come, that like to go, and the only way that I'm going to get out of this world is to get the world out of me. i got to get the world out of me, I've got to get Christ into me, and I do that by knowing by reckoning, and by presenting. What do you know? 